Hey, everybody, this is Butch Patrick. And oh, you're over there. Are you here? <laughs> Doesn't matter wherever you are. You're listening to the Walter Paisley Movie House. Welcome to the Walter Paisley Movie House, where we celebrate the little engines that could not. Coming to you from Nilbog Manor Studios, our music is by Jonathan Harmon, and I am your host, Dylan Rory. Today's episode is brought to you by The Big Book of Public Restroom Etiquette by George Maharis, available at all major rest stops. Today's guest is a writer, producer, and podcast host with a penchant for breakfast cereal. A graduate of New York City's School of Visual Arts, where he was known for holding court by the Donkey, Donkey Kong machine, being the funniest guy in the room, and which he attended with former podcast guest James Lorenz, who also gave me a lot of that information. Oh, he, went, <laughs> he went on to write for many, tele, many of television's most popular cartoons, talk shows, and comedy specials, including Caroline's Comedy Hour, Muppet Time, Eek the Cat, the Wienerville Hanukkah Special, Donnie and Marie, Cat Dog, The Sylvester and Tweety Mysteries, The View, The Comedy Central Roasts of Roseanne and Pamela Anderson, and The Joy Behar Show. He's also written material for Bill Murray, Meryl Streep, and Howard Stern, among many others, as well as being a contributor to Mad Magazine, Garbage Pail Kids, and Wacky Packs. He continues this work today in both television and through his website, Comedy Wise. As the co-host of the popular Gilbert Gottfried's Amazing Colossal Podcast, he has interviewed many legends from the world of movies and televisions and... Ugh, let me start over again. He's interviewed You're not many, live, are you? Many, <laughs> many legends from the worlds of movies, television, and music, including Dick Van Dyke, Carl Reiner, Dick Cavett, Steve Buscemi, Ed Asner, Richard Kind, Judd Apatow, Ileana Douglas, Jimmy Webb, Joel Gray, Peter Bogdanovich, Jessica Walter, and Ron Liebman. But what is he doing on a cult movie podcast, I hear you yell? Yeah. Well, he's also... I, I'd ask that question. <laughs> he's also talked to a dream list of cult movie legends like Alan Arkish, Joe Dante, Bruce Stern, Michael Nesmith, Julie Newmar, James Caron, Roger Corman, Michael McKeon, Amy Herkeling, Tom Savini, Bobcat Goldthwait, Clint Howard, Tony Lobianca, Buck Henry, Frank Conniff, Rich Cause, Larry Cohen, Eddie Deason, Keith Carradine, Peter Fonda, Austin Pendleton, and Walter Paisley himself, Dick, Dick fucking Miller. Miller. Dick Miller. <laughs> God bless him. As an actor, he appeared alongside Troma alum Robert, Robert Pritchard and porn legend Jamie Gillis in Richard Haynes' delightful 1989 schlockfest, Alien Space Avenger, which, Frank, I want you own, I own that on VHS. Shame I'll have on you. you. Know. Absolutely not. I love it. Never live that down. <laughs> Please welcome the man from whom I lifted the entire format of this podcast and a person who once had fresh towels delivered to his motel room by a ghost named Riley. Frank Santopadre. I don't even understand that reference, but I love it. <laughs> According to James Lorenz, oh, you guys God. went to a game. You what, went an to inside, a game. what an inside joke. <laughs> that, is too, that is too inside to be inside. We, James Lorenz and I, star, known to your fans and your listeners as the star of uh, the illustrious star of Frankenhooker. Absolutely. We drove to Canada on a dare. We drove to Montreal to see a baseball game. What a dumb thing to do. <laughs> But yeah, we we uh we had some adventures in those days. Did I really interview all those people you listed? Apparently so. Oh. I think I've I've listened to them all at least twice. That is frightening. Right? Where does the time go, Dylan? I mean, so you you guys started in 2014, so We did. We did. Over 600 episodes total, right? I feel it in my bones. Yes. Yeah. I feel yeah. Say, every every morning that I wake up, I feel I feel all 600 <laughs> episodes. You know. So 
who had the bigger porn collection, Bud Abbott or Red Skelton? That's hard to know. Uh, <laughs> uh, <laughs> Your podcast has come up on this Billy podcast. West, Billy West times. does a bit about Bud Abbott in a wheelchair, <laughs> being un- unable to reach up to the, get the, the good porn on the top <laughs> shelf. <laughs> Uh, is that that's one of the things you learn from the show i'm so proud yeah that's uh, so proud. you know it, it educates uh i couldn't answer that one i'll leave that one to uh <laughs> we'll let that one be a mystery so you were born yeah, in we New started York? in 2014 yes oh, okay question. okay yeah. well we'll get to that later let's talk a little bit about you growing up in new york mm-hmm. um so you were born uh in queens right I was born in Brooklyn, but raised, Brooklyn, okay. raised yeah, raised in Queens. Raised I never, in Queens, okay. I never really saw Brooklyn. I okay. was born in Brooklyn and then whisked away to Queens. Got it. Okay. <clears throat> Excuse me, and raised in in Queens and in, in John Gotti country, a place called Ozone Park. Oh yeah, yeah. Uh, which some maybe four of your listeners would know, including you. And uh, we had a great movie theater. Uh, that was a, the, that was my next question. <laughs> Cross Bay, the Cross Bay Theater, where I saw. Gilbert used to mock me for this. I saw every Planet of the Apes movie. Awesome. The, the original five. Yeah, yeah. He, yeah, they would, show, they would show all five in a day. And I, oh. think, I, I think I went back. You, you had to get there like nine in the morning or something. And they'd show them all day. And starting with Planet of the Apes, ending with Battle for the Planet of the Apes, I believe was the oh, last one. Yes. Well, I think the one, the one with our, our friend Paul Williams is in actually and i watched five and i think i went back the next day and watched all five again but i saw so many different kinds of movies there and that Mm -hmm. was it was a you know i i used to hit the little stores on jamaica avenue and there was an elevated train and it was it was a it was a fun place to grow up was that movie theater did they do was it like a revival house or did they show when i was a kid it was in first run they would have special events like that planet of the apes uh, thing that okay. kind of the apes uh, retrospective but it was a i don't i think finally it became a revival house and then it was a model sporting goods oh. and even that company i think is defunct so i don't know what it is now i uh but it was um it, it was it was i had a fun childhood and uh you know collecting comic books and the used to go into the local candy store and they had the spinner rack and yeah i don't know if you're one of those people who uh uh remembers things through smell or or certain aromas but i I, re- I vividly remember the smell of the slurpee machine in the local candy store yeah when you walked in on a hot day you were hit with this burst of cold air from the air conditioning and this sweet smell of the sugars and the chemicals churning out of this uh i guess it was slide home slurpee was a brand name but i you know so many of those and the smell of the comics the new comics or the new yeah. bad magazine yeah you know, so so many of those things that are uh that are lost mm-hmm. now, but um, you know, I do. There was a local ice cream parlor. We'd go and get an egg cream. So I grew up, you know, I grew up in the '60s, but it, in many ways, it may as well have been the '40s. Yeah, I was going to say that sounds like just such a, a New York existence. It was. I was. I and Gilbert and I were reminisced about that kind of thing all the time. We really both pretty much missed the automats. He remembers right. it from when he was a kid. He was older than me, but uh, but we had we had similar childhoods, and uh, you know, again, not to. Not to beat that drum or or be one of those guys that says everything was better then, but so much of that is lost. Yeah, yeah. And even to go into a, a candy store in a spinner rack and, mm-hmm. and, you know, or looking for that new mad or even that new issue of crack. Yeah. You know, I mean, or 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 buying baseball cards in little wax packs and, and, and opening them up and the 
cardboard smelled like the gum. Yeah. You know, the smells and the experiences of, of or going into a record store. And, record and store. I was going to say, that's, I can yeah. vividly remember flipping at through. A, and At a record store, and you'd go in, and they would list the the uh, the songs that were on the Billboard Top 40, mm-hmm. and then they'd have the corresponding 45s on a shelf, and you could, if you, if you fell in love with a song on the radio, you'd go into Corvettes or the, yeah. or the local record store and buy the record. I mean, so much of that is, so much of that is gone. That's come up a lot on here that the the thrill of the hunt mm-hmm. oh yeah you know, we, being a able Facebook to page with that name that's pretty good is there okay yeah I'll it's all about it. that yeah it's all about because it was uh everything's so disposable now and i right. i use i always use a herschel gordon lewis as kind of my touchstone with this where uh-huh. i got 2000 maniacs when i was probably 15 16 something like that on a video cassette that i swapped with somebody i met through a fangoria back page ad um we started the swap network and we're all sending videotapes to each other of movies that you couldn't find anywhere um so i got 2000 maniacs and it was a tape of a tape of a tape of a tape of it you know and it was ugly looking Mm -hmm. and and static but it meant so much to me because it was a movie that was legendary to me now i could go on and pull it up on youtube and then i'm like okay i've seen it Eh, done that's that's true much has been said about the thrill of the hunt but yes you had to look for things Mm -hmm. if you if you were collecting marvel comics and you missed a certain fantastic four issue it was gone yeah and i don't even think in those days you wrote to marvel and 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 bought the back issue we Mm -hmm. used to go we'd we'd go to this store in brooklyn i think it was called grand avenue books or the Grand Street Bookstore. I mean, it must be long gone. You had to go to an out-of-print bookstore or a, or a used bookstore, I should say, mm-hmm. and 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 you'd find you'd find the comic books you missed, or you'd find the Mad if you were a serial collector of something like Mad, you'd find the issues that you missed. Yeah. And then seeing those covers for the first time was a was a revelation. Yeah. I, my first comic convention, which was held in the Hotel Pennsylvania across from Penn Station in New York. I don't think that's there anymore either. And I, I remember going in and I was missing two issues of Defenders, which was a Marvel comic, yeah. Doctor Strange. And just seeing those covers for the first time, and you really felt like you had discovered, you know, something or a winning, or found a winning lottery ticket. And and all of that now is replaced by instant gratification. Yeah. You can find yeah. anything you need. You can see any movie. You can, you can if, you, if you're thinking of a song, it's there instantly on YouTube. Right. So there's no seeking anything out or searching for anything. There are no quests. Yeah. And I, I, I think kids, we were, we were talking the other day about, my wife and I were talking about, even how cool it was to get cereal and you had to pour out the box in three bowls because you wanted to get it at the damn price. Yeah, and then put it all back in so your parents wouldn't notice. Exactly. <laughs> Whatever that shitty prize was, Be I sent bulged away for out a, like this. <laughs> yeah. I sent away for a quisp, a quisp gun. <laughs> a in 19 i don't know 68 or 69 <laughs> anyway i i do i feel for my nephew is is 19 or i think he's 20 now mm-hmm. i feel for the fact that i feel for these kids who don't get to experience those those exciting things or at least they were thrills to us yeah putting, a, putting an aurora model together oh yeah you know with yeah. airplane glue i i've been able to give my son some of that Oh, that's um, good. And going to conventions. And oh, there's always some guy with a bootleg table at every convention you go to back sure. in a corner somewhere. And we'll go hit that. And hearing him discover, you know, he's really into horror. So to hear him suddenly go, wait, what is this? And holding up that's some fun. old Hammer film or, yeah. you know, an Al Adamson film. Al Adamson, ladies and gentlemen. Yeah. 
<laughs> well, that's you know that's uh, it's good that you're giving him that. Yeah, I, salu I, I salute you. Well, thanks. I've 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 impressed him the the need for physical media because good the streaming you. stuff is is gonna go it it's not gonna go away, but they're gonna start altering things i think well they oh, already it's, have it's inevitable it's already it's happening inevitable. bless so. your heart that you're doing that for him if i had children i would do the same yeah so at what point in was it in your childhood that you thought boy i really like this world that i'm seeing on the big screen i'd like to be involved in it in some way god i don't know i don't i don't i think as a kid my dad was a commercial artist my mother was a housewife i certainly didn't know anybody in show business mm -hmm. I don't think I ever even considered the, the, that as a as a realistic possibility. I was a super fan, a super geeky, nerdy kid who read credits. Right. You know. Same. Yeah, and I kind of grew up. <laughs> when Gilbert and I finally did put the podcast together and people said, well, how could you have all these facts at your fingertips? Some of them came through extensive research. Some of it just because I had that stuff stored in my my noggin for 50 yeah. years or 40 years. I just, I don't know why, where I could, I could tell you who wrote a specific Adams family episode or, or, or a Batman wow. episode. And I don't know why I know this or, and I really developed a, a an ability to recognize and remember character actors. Mm -hmm. um, I tell this story. One of the actors who played one of cat women, cat women, cat woman's henchmen in an early Batman episode was a guy named Ralph Manza. Now, your your listeners might recognize him as the he's the fisherman in the in the in the the Godzilla remake from a few years ago. The oh, one with the yeah. one with Matthew Broderick. Yeah. And he's fishing and he's the old man on the on the dock and he catches mm -hmm. the But he I was writing a bad sitcom in LA in the nineties and he walks into audition and he walked in the room and I shouted, Ralph Manza. Now this guy had been a working actor for decades, but just one of those faces that you knew, but nobody knew his name. And he was flabbergasted that somebody recognized him by name. And he told me it was the first time in his career. Oh, that's fantastic. And I just had a recall of these guys' faces and names that I carried with me into the podcast. Mm -hmm. So I, to answer your question in a roundabout way, I was obsessed with this stuff and an obsessed kid. And I guess, I guess you don't think about what you're going to grow up and be when you're five or right. six. Yeah. I mean, yeah. You're going to be an astronaut at that age. Right. Uh, but, um, it, it really all paid off. My mother says, when my mother saw me as an adult writing for Mad and Cracked and the things that I used to read as a kid, and then writing trading cards, which I did. I loved Wacky Packs as a kid. As a, as a grown-up, I got to write them. My mother said, I think this was inevitable. She said that I always saw you going and <laughs> doing this and going in this direction. So I guess it didn't surprise her, and in some way it didn't surprise me, but I didn't really aspire to it. Right. Um, and I, I didn't really achieve very much in high school. I was kind of bored and I underachieved. Mm -hmm. And then I went to art school as a fallback and I was going to be a, an illustrator and a, and a commercial artist. And then I just mm -hmm. sort of stumbled into comedy. Mr. Gottfried had something to do with that. Yeah. So, so you're at SBA. Yeah. And in the eighties, in the eighties and, um, during the punk you're, thing, you're coming to write. <laughs> yeah. New wave yeah yeah you're you're kind of coming up through through all of that I did. um and uh james lorenz talked a lot about that school and what he learned there and mm -hmm. and um a lot of the professors of course um a, a favorite movie of mine street trash was born oh, sure. out of that school oh, sure. um the great roy frumkes yes yeah 
um, who I'd love to talk to. Um, oh, I'm sure but, you can get him. But uh, just the, it sounded like a very encouraging environment. I guess it was, you know, you know, you think of the old expression, youth is wasted on the young. I don't think we were old enough to appreciate the teachers we had. Yeah. Uh, you familiar with a movie called Horror Express? With oh, yeah. Cushing yeah. And, um, Telly Savalas. Yeah. I think Christopher Lee's in it, isn't he? He is. Yeah. Written by uh, uh, one of our professors uh, who was blacklisted, a very, very interesting man named Arno Dussault, who was a playwright, oh. a, a playwright of some note and a roommate of Zero Mostel's and and uh and and a, a left leaning mm-hmm. left left leaning politically and, that was enough to get you blacklisted back then. well being zero mostel's roommate I that would do it too to get, you, get you blacklisted <laughs> but he he wrote a play with ring ring lardner called oh, wow. uh, tomorrow the world i think it became it became a movie with skippy Holmeyer and frederick march I, and i think ring Lard- and ring lardner was one of the hollywood 10 so mm-hmm. he associated with all the uh, if if you want to put it that way, wrong people. But he was, fa- he was a child of of Hollywood. He was father was a studio executive. He was a fascinating man, and he'd written a lot of great. He wrote a play with Dorothy Parker called Ladies of the Carter. We also had a professor named William K. Everson, who I urge you to look up and urge your listeners to to Google, who was um, a, a renowned film historian, a British film historian, who was friends with Keaton and Chaplin, and he knew John Ford, and he knew David Lean, and and he had a film collection, 35 millimeter and 16 millimeter film collection in his home. Wow. And he would invite students to the home, to his home and show if you wanted to see Sherlock Jr., Keaton's film, or you wanted to see uh, uh, Intolerance, or I'm pulling, I'm pulling films out of the air. He had a silent sure. film collection. You could go to his home. In many cases, James will back me up on this. In many cases, he would lend you the films. You could borrow a 16 millimeter film if you had a 16 projector. Right, film. if you had a projector. Who the hell did you? Know, <laughs> go to a library. But he was a great man who knew a lot of people. He was very knowledgeable. Uh, he was a star in his own right. And, you know, we used to fall asleep in his class or not pay attention because all of this stuff was being offered sure. to us. On a silver platter, and and and, and to, to be frank, who else would I be? We were too young and dumb to take advantage of it. Right. Uh, so it wasn't until years later re- that I stopped and realized mm-hmm. that these would these were important men, important figures who were really trying to. Only when I became a senior there did I really start mm-hmm. take the time to stop and thank them and and and. Uh, I, I was respectful. I wasn't. I wasn't a class clown or anything. Right. Like that. We just were too. We were right out of high school and very immature, mm-hmm. and and I think too green and too naive. Yeah. And imma- immature is the word. To to sure. appreciate what these people were offering us. So again, one of the best things that came from that film school, and I think that does come from film schools, is your relationships, is the friends you make. Mm-hmm. You know, and then if you're lucky enough, you get a job. Through through, but I never right. got a I never got a job in the in the industry when I got out of film school. I was I got a film degree. I was still wandering aimlessly around Manhattan, and uh, it wasn't until I started my own comedy group. I tried to start a comedy group along the lines of the Zucker Brothers Kentucky Fried Kentucky Theater. Fried Theater. Okay, they, they did famously out of Madison, Wisconsin, mm-hmm. that, that everybody knows led to the movie. Kentucky Fried movie, yeah, and later Airplane, but uh, but I I, I got a, I, a bunch of friends together, and I, I I held auditions, and I wrote sketches, and I said, no, we're gonna be a we're gonna be a, a sketch company, we're gonna be a traveling comedy troupe, because I just thought 
I don't know. You know, I, nobody was offering me a job on Saturday Night Live, but I thought you right. could you could write comedy and stage it and see it and invite critics to come, and they came. And Brother Theodore, we were Brother Theodore's opening wow. act a couple of times. Oh. At the what was the What was theater. the name of your troupe? Firing Squad. Nice. And we did it for a couple of years, and uh, and it was a blast. And again, you're 24, you're 25, you don't know what the hell you're doing. I used it as a showcase to kind of make some relationships, and then I had it forced me to write sketches, and then I had the material written, and and so then I could go look for an agent because mm -hmm. I now had some produced work, even though right. we were pretty much producing it ourselves. And that was my first kind of foot in uh, that. That was kind of my first step into comedy. Like, is is this something huh. that I could actually do? I didn't get I, an agent until I was 27, and then I actually started getting professional. That's work. actually pretty good. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I goofed around. Even even leaving school with a with a film degree, I I, I was pretty uh, I was pretty aimless, and and um, and everything was pretty much out of focus. I didn't. I, I didn't think I had the, the, the chops to direct or, 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 uh, or, or make people were making student films or <clears throat> excuse me. Oh, we'll get they, to the lazy bastard in a minute. Don't oh worry. my God. You shouldn't even know about that. Too late. But, but, um, <laughs> but, uh, but the comedy group was where I realized that I could write. And again, you're young and you're green and you're raw. So you're writing at that age, you're writing a lot of things based on your influences. Mm -hmm. You know, you're kind of regurgitating some of yeah. what you saw on SNL or Red in the Lampoon or Python. Right. So there was a lot of that. It took me years to kind of find a voice. But at 27, I um, I knew this uh, that this manager named Barry Secunda had managed Michael O'Donoghue. Yeah, yeah. Michael O'Donoghue of SNL and Lampoon fame and Franken and Davis, mm -hmm. Al Franken, his partner, Tom Davis. And, and again, when you're that age, you have chutzpah. You don't know any better. So I, I put a package of sketches together, comedy bits, and uh, and little sort of magazine-type comedy pieces, something mm -hmm. that you would have written for Spy or Lampoon. And I kind of wandered in off the street. He had an office in the Brill Building in Manhattan, legendary Brill Building. That's, a, that's pretty cool just to go in there. <laughs> it is, but I mean, again, I was, I was a dope off the street. You know, I had no idea what I was doing. I was, I was a gate crasher. <laughs> And his secretary, oh gosh, his secretary, receptionist, uh, what is her name? Beth. She was lovely and so kind to me. And she said, sure, Barry's out, but leave the stuff. And I got a phone call in a couple of days. He said, you're funny. Can we meet? And he started putting me up for jobs. Very so, cool. Again, it was just, hey, you know, dumb, know-nothing kid with nothing to lose, walks mm -hmm. in off the street. I, you know, again, I didn't have family connections. I didn't really have film school connections. I was making it up from whole cloth. I've I've heard you say of the podcast that you you were kind of making your own party there. You were you were sick of trying to get into the cool kids party, so oh, you, you made your that, own. Man. You heard me on Buzz Night Show. Uh, yeah, I did. Um, yeah, I, I, and it kind of sounds like that's just kind of your mo for how you do life. You know, again, you 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 do. What do you what do they say? You do better when you know better. I didn't know any better. <laughs> There's some wonderful Gilbert liked to say that about going on stage at 15. Yeah, yeah. You know, he's, what, he's what business did I have being on stage at 15 doing Humphrey Bogart impressions? But nobody right. knows any better. Yeah. At, at, at that age. Yeah. What I said about Buzz to Buzz was a lesson learned is you love those things. You fall in love with those things like I was in love with the original SNL. Mm hmm. You know, I was 14, man. When oh, yeah, that's and, 
the perfect time. 1975 and that first O'Donoghue <laughs> sketch with Belushi, may I feed your fingertips to the Wolverine. Amazing. Which was so lampoon in its um Yeah. In its in its style. Well, everybody everybody writing for that show at that time came from Lampoon. Well, a good many. I mean uh, I mean Ann Beats did certainly O'Donoghue. Yeah. Um that was a very- Ann Beats wrote probably one of the greatest sketches of all time with um what was the uncle that Buck Henry played Uncle Roy. Uncle Roy. Yeah, that's <laughs> Ann Beats. I hope I'm not misspeaking, but I think that's Ann Beats and Rosie Schuster, um, who was the daughter of of. Uh, it's it's just fascinating. Schuster of Wayne and Schuster, the comedy. Oh wow, the, the comedy. I didn't know duo, that. The comedy duo. Um, so watching those sketches, I was very impressionable age. I remember they they and they really did edgy sketches in those days. You remember oh, yeah. a sketch called X Police. I'm sure I've seen it. I don't recall it offhand. It was Billy Police, Bill Murray and Aykroyd were two cops that had been thrown off the force for police brutality, and, and, and for being renegades. But they would show up at a crime scene and then just beat the hell out of everyone, <laughs> including the victims. And then another senseless death, you know. An, uh, uh, the you know another case for the ex police they in those days you know Alan Zweibel will tell you this uh, you know if you talk to Tom Schiller or any of these people you know mm-hmm. they were they were renegades yeah you know and they were really hell bent to not write the Carol Burnett show to not write friendly mm-hmm. family friendly prime time sketches so they were taking that that what they used to call cut and slash humor. That sent that yeah. lampoon sensibility and bringing it to television. Mm-hmm. And man, I ate it with a spoon. I just, I loved, I had loved dark comedy. I had discovered mm-hmm. Python a little bit earlier. Um, maybe in the same year. I think Python came to the States around that time too. And I just fell in love with that. And I, and, and so I wrote, I tried to write in that vein, mm-hmm. you know, um, cause you, you are, you are kind of imitating what you love. Yeah. At, yeah. at that age, because you're not really, you're not really worldly enough mm-hmm. and have enough life experience to write from that life experience. Yeah. So yeah. Writing facsimiles of other people's visions. So there was a lot of yeah. that. But Barry, to his credit, rest his soul, I guess he saw something in me and, and he said, well, we'll put you up for some jobs. And I started uh, around that same time, 1988, there was a Writers Guild strike. Again, here's a chutzpah move. I went to see Franken and Davis perform at Adelphi University out on Long Island. Mm-hmm. And they were, it was a Writers Guild strike and they weren't on SNL and they had time to do stuff. And so yeah. they, took, they took the act on the road and they had a college act. And, uh, and I waited for him in the parking lot. Tom was gone. I waited for Al in the parking lot. And I said, you know, you know Barry Secunda uh, is, is, is hip-pocketing me, working with me. And, uh, and Al was very, very nice. And he said, here's what you do. And he said, call so-and-so at the William Morris Agency. She probably won't return your call. <laughs> he, was, he was honest. He said, but, uh, you know, Barry says you ha- if Barry says you have something, you must have something, and you have to be persistent and, you know, just keep trying. And I don't know if he was trying to get rid of me or brush me off. Or he, he, I, I won't even say that because he really he could have done that very, very easily. But he stood and talked to me in the parking lot for a good 10, 15 minutes. That's great. And I, anyway, long story short, I took the number. I won't mention this agent. She's long gone. I took the number. I called probably every week for months. And uh, 
it became a recurring gag because she had an assistant whose job it was, the gatekeeper, whose job it was to take calls from jerks like me. Right. And and brush and brush us aside. So I started to make the calls funnier and funnier. It became a, a joke between him and me that she was never there, and he was never going to put her on the phone if she was there. <laughs> and I would make him laugh. His name is was was and is James Dixon, and and uh, savvy people or people who pay attention to show business would know his name because he is now. I think he has three clients now, and those three clients are John Stewart, uh, Stephen Colbert, and Jimmy Kimmel. That's. Uh, pretty much all you need yeah they call him baby doll but back then he was and he's an interesting character in his own right if you're listening to this james which i know you're not in those <laughs> days uh he was uh, an assistant so she left he got her job or he was promoted mm -hmm. to agent and he called me and he said come on in and we'll talk about stuff and he started putting me up for crazy jobs you know really cool I, yeah like the mickey the new mickey mouse club was a job they put me up for and I, I was, uh, I almost got it. I, again, 27, you know, I'm living with my parents. I don't know. I don't know anything. And, uh, mm -hmm. and now I'm talking about moving to Orlando, getting an apartment and writing for, for Britney kids. Spears. Well, again, Britney Spears wasn't Britney Spears, nor right. was Justin Timberlake, right? although they were on the show or Christina Aguilera. Um, so I would have done that. They actually went with a writing team, a, a, a more experienced writing team, mm -hmm. more experienced than I was uh, wisely. But I started going up for all these jobs. One of those jobs was Commander USA's Groovy Movies. Yeah, which, you, which that was I USA you Network, know right? Yes, yeah, yes, yeah. You, I, I know you know about that. And again, you know, it was low rent television, but what did I care? Mm -hmm. I, I, you know, I'm, I'm a kid living at home and, and uh, you know, and I'm, my work's on television. I mean, I showed up mm -hmm. on the set. They gave me a director's chair with my name on it. Jim Hendricks, a lovely guy, by the way, the guy that played captain, yeah. um, captain USA. Com was it captain commander, 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 commander USA. Commander USA. Yeah. It's been so long. Yeah, no, it's I get so it. So long, and he had a painted on mask and and a, and a stogie, and he was a he was a throwback to to the kitty show host that we all loved in the sixties right. and seventies. Yeah, but he was great to me. Uh, he just passed away maybe a couple of years ago. Oh, and I was again green, not knowing what I'm doing. But hey, the William Morris Agency sent me. You know, <laughs> I got a chair with my name on it, and I wrote these things, and I, then I wrote some stuff for comedy central and mm -hmm. I, I and i was just and i then then dixon called me up and he said uh um stop me if i'm talking too much by the way no no that's what this is for he called me and said uh uh larry bud melman <laughs> do you remember larry bud melman oh yeah <laughs> calvert then, now we're getting into my coming of age so around okay. this era is when i was watching Gilbert's Saturday Night Live. There you that go. was my first Saturday Night Live experience was go. that cast. There so. you go. I'm so heaven help you. Gilbert and I had not had yet to cross paths, but uh Larry Bud Melman, who was who was a a, a running gag on the Letterman show. The Letterman, the yeah. Old Letterman late night. Yeah. Um uh, was was now getting some notoriety. And William Morris took him on. They didn't know what to do with him. <laughs> so they were they were roasting in primetime. And this is the days of three channels. They yeah. were roasting the Yankee manager, Billy Martin. I, I don't know if you're a baseball guy. I know who Billy Martin is. He okay. was kind of notorious. So, so they had, he was. So they had Mickey Mantle and Whitey Ford. They had these Yankee icons. I think they had Howard Cosell 
Alan King was the roast master. No, of course he was. I think Belzer was on. I can't remember. You can IMDb it. This is Mm -hmm. ancient history. I might as well be talking about the 30s. And and Larry Budd, they were going to put him in a baseball uniform and introduce him as Billy's first Little League coach. (laughs) He was like the gag roaster. Who didn't know Billy? He's probably the yeah the one guy in the dais that had no pre-existing relationship with with uh, with Billy Martin. So so here comes Larry Bud Melman, and now I've got to write his act. Again, I'm 27, maybe, maybe 28, and I'm and I go and I meet with Larry, who's just the sweetest, most unassuming guy. He was discovered for the Letterman show. He was he was an out of work actor working in a, a, a working at a receptionist job in a rehab center. Yeah, yeah, like Daytop Village. Or he something. was doing that while he was doing Letterman. Yes, he because disco- he was staying on there for the insurance. <laughs> and here's a connection. He was discovered by Steve Weiner and Carl Tiedem in a comedy writing team, and those were the guys that got the Mickey Mouse Club show when I didn't get it. <laughs> So there you go. That all ties up. <laughs> and I, I wrote these jokes for Larry Bud Melman, which God love him. He delivered terribly. <laughs> he just delivered sure. them as if he was reading them off a prompter. <laughs> and then there's the, you know, there's the bad, there's the bad reaction shots of people cracking up on right. the days, which they've shot hours after everyone's left. Yep. Uh, but these were gigs. You know, these were gigs. Yeah. Now now yeah. I'd gra- graduated, I've somehow graduated from Commander USA's Groovy Movies to NBC. But I imagine it was Prime pretty time. exciting. I it mean, was. like even with Commander USA, you go in, you see your name on a chair. I mean, that's got to feel wonderful. It's a cliche, but I was a kid in a candy store. And, yeah. and, and older writers would say to me, enjoy this because you're, you never, you've heard this expression, you never enjoy the candy store or the toy store more than when you're looking through the window waiting for them to open. Yeah. Yeah. You know? So yeah. all of those, all the, all the anticipation, all the, you know, mm-hmm. my, again, my parents didn't graduate high school, you know, and now I'm coming right. home and saying, I'm, oh, oh, we have to watch the roast on Friday night at eight 30. I wrote these jokes. They couldn't wrap their minds around seeing my name on television. Uh, but as I said, from, a, 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 you know, from being a kid without ever saying that's me, I'm going to be that guy on mm-hmm. that screen. It was always kind of, I think, maybe understood in some way that that's eventually yeah. where I would go. Were they proud of you? Were they proud to see your oh, name very, go past on the so. credits? Very much so. That's a couple, wonderful. A couple of years later, I was writing for a show on the FX network, which was a new network, mm-hmm. which was hosted by Jeff Probst long before Survivor and anybody knew who Jeff was. And we had Adam West come in because FX was really trying to get its sea legs in those days and showing yeah. a lot of reruns. Yeah. So we had Batman on the channel and they invited Adam West to come to, to New York and come to the FX building mm-hmm. and shoot a day's worth of interstitials with us. Oh, very cool. Which I wrote for him. And my mother said, my mother said, when you were five, he used to call me into the room screaming and you would say, what does that say on the screen? And my mother would have to say, that says kapow. <laughs> that says kablam. <laughs> Remember the fight scenes on oh, Batman? Oh, absolutely. Yeah. So now, now Adam and I are on the set at FX, and he's going, "Hey, let's do a bat rope thing." And I'm I'm having a surreal, out of body experience <laughs> because I'm with Batman, right? Who I grew up idolizing and loving that show, and loving Adam and Bert. And then we got Gilbert, and I got to have them on the podcast, which is <clears> an <throat> extra an extra thrill. But so, and I called my mom from the set, and I said, "I'm here with Adam West." 
But my mother was never surprised by any of this. She thought, well, of course you are. <laughs> and when, when I met William M. Gaines, the first time I wrote for Mad, and I went into William M. Gaines' office, and I sat there, and I was, you know, just hanging out with you. You. This is the thing that I would say to people. You know, you you dream these things. If you do the work, if you put yourself out there, and you put yourself into this world, and you have any ability, you know, mm -hmm. and and you and you stay with it, you can find yourself in these ridiculous ridiculously cool surreal situations Absolutely. with, your, with yeah. your childhood heroes and i, I yeah. never even now at my age i never stop pinching myself over it i get it i i really do i thought well i had jack hill on here and that oh jack hill spider one of those which is probably my favorite yeah. movie we never um, got jack or or sid haig shame on us he uh he's great he's still alive he's living in stone mountain I georgia i don't have a I, platform right now to have him on right so right i'm gonna live vicariously but through you that was that was like one of those where when it happened and i got his number from i interviewed bill rabane are you familiar with him i'm not sorry um the giant spider invasion a movie okay. that competed with jaws I know, I know that one okay it had alan hale jr in it Gotta but be I, good. I had him on and uh his his handler actually she said is there anybody else you want to talk to i said i i would love to talk to jack hill so she sent me his contact info Wonderful. and i just called him at home that's great um it's but, nice that uh, these guys are still i felt that when we talked to larry cohen on the podcast oh i would have lost my shit oh he was great and one of my favorite shows and that's what i loved about doing the show i mean yes i love talking mm -hmm. to dick van dyke and carl reiner but yeah everybody's talked to dick van dyke and carl reiner when we could get uh larry cohen uh or or uh uh shep gordon yeah you know, or, yeah or, or 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 some of these or sid and marty croft mm -hmm. you know these these cult heroes yeah these people who were yeah. kind of off the beaten path that that was a joy well i want to get into the podcast here and we look at the time yeah okay we'll get to it in a second i do have to ask because i was specifically requested to ask about the lazy bastard this was your this was your thesis film at SVA. Oh, I, I'm going to take the fifth. I know nothing about it. it All was I was dumb. It was a dumb, shaggy dog joke. Oh, awesome! That didn't really even work. <laughs> I had to make a thesis film. Mm -hmm. My brother-in-law owned a hair salon on Long Island, and then the next the next store was a bedding store. Okay, with a giant brass bed in the window. And I remember walking by and saying, you only see in the movies somebody sleeping in the bed in the bedding store. You know, like the, I had seen that somewhere. Yeah, yeah. But it's, it's maybe one of those things that like, like you know, so that doesn't exist in real life, like a reporter with a press card in his hat. Right. <laughs> and I thought, wouldn't it be funny if, if, if somebody refused to get up for work because they, they love to sleep and they finally were forced by their parents to get up and go to work and at the end of the bit that's the payoff that he's a bed mom job at a <laughs> he puts on pajamas and gets in the bed and sleeps in the window to advertise the beds hence the and, title okay and i was 22 and that was hilarious to me <laughs> but you know <laughs> it's it's hilarious to tell somebody at a diner and then move on it, right it was yeah. not it was not worth Worked the, in theory, the, not in action. It was like, why am I doing this? When I actually got there and got the, and had to go to the bed store and get the location and, you know, and pay the guy to use the bed store, which you could only do after hours, and then hold uh, auditions and put an ad in backstage for actors. And 
where was I going to shoot this bed? Where was I going to shoot the home scenes of the kids right. sleeping? I shot it in my, my own house. So now my mother, you know, we're bringing in lights and cameras and stands. And my mother's going, what the hell? Putting putting a guy in my bed. <laughs> so ludicrous. Shame on James Lorenz for bringing it up. You know, you look back on some of these things that you do when you, you're, you're that age and you think you're clever. Oh, yeah. You know. Oh, it's when, embarrassing. Yeah, I've got I a load of it, them. You got I've been in, I've been in many student films, so, so yeah, oh, I've got go. my own graveyard out there. There you go. Yeah. This one should be in a graveyard. <laughs> this one should be in a, in a drawer at the morgue. And I just I remember I remember cutting it together. In those days, shot on uh, on sixteen. Did you do sixteen? Yeah, okay. Cut, cut on a moviola, my friend. Mm -hmm. Oh yeah. Or, or Steenbeck, a flatbed. And I remember cutting it. I remember sitting in the editing room with my friend Pete Cabot, a, a skilled editor. Oh, bless him. Uh, uh, and, and just watching it and going, this is terrible. This doesn't, this is the dumbest, this is the dumbest much ado about nothing for this stupid payoff, you know, of all the things that I could have shot and, and, and spent my time and my energy, uh, doing anyway, that's what it was. And I haven't probably haven't watched it since 1984 <laughs> and no one, no one else should either. Well, then one one more then before we okay, get to the podcast, there, there and that's... Go. I was that, prouder of the sketch comedy group, believe me. Uh, well, I have to ask about Alien Space Avenger. It is a movie oh. I had owned, and I had forced my friends to watch many is times. Is this an interview or a roast? It's a, no, I, I have to say, this is one of those movies... I mean, it's the reason I started this podcast. I'm obsessed with those types of films. Richard I'm, Haynes. I'm just... Yeah, yeah. Just obsessed with them. Uh, just the, the entire concept of of um it, making movies is difficult mm -hmm. even if they're bad you still do the same amount of work as you're well, doing in that good i one. think it was william goldman that said nobody ever sets out to make a bad movie no no absolutely not but they happen and i i feel like they need to be celebrated when they're out there somebody's put the work into it and uh that that's a particular movie that i mean it's a comedy horror it's very trauma it's yeah, got a lot of trauma. a trauma feel to yeah. it um you're gonna and, ask me how i wound up in there uh, yeah i was yeah i'm assuming you went to school with somebody <laughs> no i went to again it, this was in my 20s when i was sort of casting around this was before i got the agent and before i kind of knew what i was wanted to do or write mm -hmm. that i wanted to write comedy and of course you know there was a magazine called cine fantastique oh yeah out of oak park illinois i'm not sure it's still around i don't think it the is publisher committed suicide which puts a nice little fun a, a little fun coat of of uh, glitz on the story, <laughs> but um, not to get not to get too dark. Well, that's okay. We live I there. Was, I I I knew they were shooting this movie in New York for Troma, and I knew Rich. I can't even remember how, but he was. What was noteworthy about this movie, Alien Space Adventure, was that he was he was determined to shoot it in old style Technicolor. And I wow. think he did. He explained to me that there was maybe two labs left in the world, one hmm. of them being in Beijing, that could even process Technicolor. Wow. Three strip Technicolor. Am I misspeaking? Your your cinephiles will will know this. Yeah. I... But but that was the gimmick. So I called the publisher at Cinefantastique, and I said, "Listen, can I go to the set and do a piece?" Because in those days, sure. again, I was like, maybe I'll write magazines. Mm -hmm. You know, I was all over the place. You know, I, yeah. I, had, I hadn't even given up the copywriter's dream at that point. My dad kind of wanted me to be in advertising. Mm -hmm. And so it was like, maybe I'll write ads. 
maybe I'll write TV commercials. Maybe I'll be, uh, maybe I'll write for Rolling Stone or, 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 you know, or, uh, uh, American Film Magazine, which was around in those days. Anyway. You were still looking in the candy store. I was, and I was throwing darts at all kinds of boards. I didn't mm-hmm. know what the hell I wanted to do. I turned out not to be a journalist, thankfully. Mm-hmm. And, and uh, I don't even think I would have been good at it. But I called him, and I said, can I do a piece about Alien Space Avenger? Very long story short, because there's not much more to the story. I went to the set, and Rich and I was interviewing Rich and the principals, including porn legend Jamie Gillis. Oh, yeah. And then Rich said, Hey, uh, I need a guy to play uh, a John in a brothel, <laughs> and he and this particular John is really kinky, and he's into dressing up like a wolf, like a <laughs> werewolf. And, and he said, "Would you be in the movie?" And again, young and stupid <laughs> should be the name of my memoir. I said, "Sure." <laughs> and the next thing I know, I'm in some scene. Uh, uh, with a woman dressed as a dominatrix or some kind of crazy thing. Again, I don't remember the details. You're, you're, well, you're, you're listeners, listeners, you can find it on YouTube. The oh, whole thing. Terrible. That's not really me. It's a double. <laughs> they put me in a wolf mask, and and I, 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 and I, then I thought this, 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 no one will ever see this. So, and then you know, it surfaced when I became a little bit known. Mm-hmm. You know, as my wife likes to call me, a very minor internet celebrity <laughs> because of the podcast. People, right. of, cor- of course, this shit surfaces, you know? Yeah, of course, so, yeah. You know, my well, real I, porn I'm... career will, probably will show up any minute. <laughs> Swedish erotica number Sweet. eight. Oh, good. Yeah, Were me, you dubbing? Me, me and Sika. A <laughs> <laughs> <The> pie fight. <laughs> it's a tribute to the great race. <laughs> I don't know what I'm saying. But yeah, it serves. So you cream pied Sika, got it. Oh okay. gosh. And- <laughs> I don't even know who she is. <laughs> well let's let's get to the podcast. Please. Uh, hey guys, how about that? Alright. He's been in one cult film. To me, that's enough to have him on the podcast. Honestly, I admire Frank so much. I've listened to that podcast since its inception. It's meant a lot to me and my family. Uh, we just enjoy old Hollywood and the people they've talked to. And uh, Frank does such a good job of research and in the interview process. And uh, if you haven't given it a listen, please do. Uh, especially now, uh, it's a great uh, epitaph for Gilbert Gottfried. He's uh, obviously... Uh, got the same love Frank does for these old actors in old Hollywood and uh, his contribution is to bring in some of the craziest Hollywood rumors you've ever heard Uh, they're always delightful Uh, you're going to hear more about it in uh, the next episode with part two with Frank Uh, yeah that's it hey get out in the world go see things while we can before monkeypox takes over and, uh, you know, while you're out there, take care of your servers because it's the Walter Paisley Movie House and we do not piss on hospitality. See you next time.